0: 2 and 2 and 1 Oh shucks, I can't dance. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Open Gov, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories about what open government and open data look like. My name is Richard Pietro, and today I'm joined by two members from the Canadian Digital Service team, Emily Currit and Josh Ruley. Emily is the product manager for the CDS, while Josh is the senior technical advisor. And both were essential in creating, in short order, the Canadian COVID Alert application, which is not a contact tracing application. It is a coronavirus exposure notification app. And today, we'll go behind the scenes and learn the details on how COVID Alert was created. Emily, Josh, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: First, Emily, for context, can you please briefly explain your role in creating the app?
1: Yeah, so I'm the product manager for the app team. So I help the team ensure that we're on priority and focusing on the right things and set up for success and actually delivering the app. So. Kind of like a jack of all trades of just making sure that everybody understands where we need to go and how we get there, uh, and setting up kind of the scope of what we're tackling, the the deadlines, how we work together, and kind of collaborating across the, the organization. And
0: Josh, I'm going to ask you the same question.
2: Sure. For this application or for this service, I am the service owner. So. Uh, COVID alert is actually kind of, it's a wider service. It's not just the application that we're building for iOS and for Android. It's a, it's a server, uh, it's an application. Uh, and also there's a, there's a healthcare component to make sure that we're integrating with provinces and territories, the health systems there to get, uh, these one-time codes in the hands of people to where they can submit that they actually have been diagnosed.
0: So would it be fair to say that generally, and I'm, I'm going to use a broad stroke here, is that Emily, you're more front facing, whereas Josh, you're more on the back end.
2: I would describe it more as a, like, there's, there's, there's three pieces that I'm coordinating, uh, and one of them is the application, which is a major, major part of this. And Emily is, uh, is product managing the application. All
0: right. So I want to get right into the conversation here, but for some of us, we might not know the difference between a contact tracing application and an exposure notification application, Emily, can you describe real quick for us those differences?
1: So contact tracing is really understanding who you've come in contact with and and kind of it's something that the healthcare professionals do on a one-to-one basis to understand, you know, who did you come in contact with? Where did that happen? What was the timeline of where you moved? And how does the disease actually kind of interact with different people? So contact tracing is very a a one-to-one person kind of conversation of understanding and digging into where you've been and who you've come in contact with. Exposure notifications is more letting people know that they've come in contact with the disease at some level But there's no tracing or tracking involved in it So we don't know anything about your timeline where you've been who you've been in contact with any of those details It's more just a heads up and part of that overall system of saying hey, you may have been exposed You should probably take some steps to to keep you and your friends happy and healthy
0: and when was, obviously the, the, the pandemic and the, lock, the serious lockdown happened in mid-March, but when was the CDS team first approached about, we need an exposure notification app?
1: I'm going to hand this one to Josh because uh, he started this whole thing.
2: Sure. Yeah. So uh, it, was, it was around April, right? When, we, when uh, I, I think at that point, this is when Apple and Google uh, announced that they were working on uh, an exposure notification uh, framework. Uh, so that's really kind of when we we paid attention. I think April 21st was the first brief that I sent up to to my boss, kind of get the landscape of of this. So yeah, early April's when we or mid April is when we started.
0: So you actually, this was a brainchild of yours, Josh. You were like, maybe we should get on board on this. We have the tools and the capabilities to do it internally. And was it a big sales pitch to um to the higher ups?
2: Uh, no, I mean it wasn't, and I wasn't. Uh, it, it it wasn't really a brainchild. Like I, I do think that, like if I if I wasn't doing it, CDS would have have gotten around to it. I just happened to be in a situation where uh, my role as senior technical advisor is to advise Aaron, who's the, the CEO of CDS, um, and so that was on on my mind.
0: And what were some of the first steps that were taken once you guys got the green light in
2: creating the app? So, in between that initial brief uh, and when we got the green light, I mean, it would have been, I believe, June, right, when we first got that green light. There was there was a lot of talk around the government of Canada and different departments about how we might approach this. Um, it was off of our radar for a little bit, even, you know, I'd say between April and uh, uh, and mid May, uh, and then I think everything did change when uh, when COVID shield. Was announced, right? So, COVID Shield is the, the open source repo, kind of one of the first implementations of uh, open source implementations of the Apple Google notification framework, and it was it was created by a group of volunteers uh, from Shopify. Uh, so, when they did that, um, I think it was mid to late May is when they when they announced that uh, we started paying attention again uh, more closely. So, we again were we were not officially involved in it. We were just kind of uh, trying to be at the ready. Uh, so what we did was we took COVID Shield, we installed it just locally, right, on our on our own uh, on our MacBooks, um, and and ran a little exposure notification service uh, here, you know, in Ottawa, running on local servers. Uh, and and I think at that point, like once we started doing that, we were uh, we were we we became more seriously involved in like kind of the uh, government of Canada's wider discussions about this. And it wasn't until I'd say uh, I don't know early to mid June uh, when we were uh, we were formally tasked with with
0: delivering this. So I, I just want to make sure I get the timeline right for people, because one of the, the elements of this story that is particularly fascinating for those in the community is how quickly you guys are able to push out this thing. You know, the major, I think the
2: major parts of the timeline were when Apple and Google announced the framework itself. Right. And then when this group of volunteers from Shopify uh, released COVID Shield, which was the, like, again, the, it, as far as I'm concerned, the first, I think, open source, uh, implementation of the Apple Google framework. Um, but it wasn't just Shopify or the, the volunteers from Shopify, right? At around the same time, uh, our friends at the Ontario Digital Service uh, were also thinking about how this might work for Ontario. So they were working with and talking to that COVID Shield team, and I think they were they were building their own implementation for Ontario, uh, and then how it ultimately landed with us, right? Is that we uh, we took. Uh, the code that COVID Shield had worked on um, that was in that open source repo. And and that that code, to be clear, was very much influenced by uh, the work that the Ontario Digital Service team did too. Um, So we took that, we took uh, some of the lessons, we worked closely with with ODS, the Ontario Digital Service. We took some of the lessons. They had already gone through a round or two of of, uh, usability testing. Uh, We we worked with them to learn what they had learned. Uh, And then we kind of took it from there. And this was happening in April as you were preparing the brief? No, this would have been more uh, when we were working with ODS and COVID Shield. uh, It would have been late May, early June.
0: Late May, early June. So you do your internal testing on your own computers alongside the ODS. And it seems to work. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the higher-ups are like, oh, you know what? Let's let's roll it out large scale. And you get to work. Am I wrong in, in assuming this?
2: Uh, no, that's right. I mean, uh, there was a uh, the decision was made that uh, uh, that we were going to go with a, a national application. Uh, and at that point, right, I, I, I think that we were probably just from the, the work that we've done. I mean, like we we literally did, you know, research and development up to that point. Uh, and I think the the work that we've done put us in the driver's seat to, to deliver that for, for Canada.
0: And from my understanding, you, you already mentioned Google, Apple, Shopify, you know, uh, Health Canada, you had a lot of different partners that were involved and i'm assuming in the early stages there had to be a lot of let's get on the same page type of conversations can you talk a little bit about how those preliminary conversations with these partners whether they are technical in nature or policy or different departments and ministries from different governments across canada and different levels went
2: uh yeah i mean i i think that the good news is that like the the public health need is clear right and and i and i think too that uh uh you know so we we worked with health canada we work with the uh, public health agency of canada and, and and everybody was on board right that this is something that we want to do and everybody was in line with that and and uh so i don't know like i i i think more from a product perspective um i i wasn't as involved in a stakeholder engagement but from my perspective it was it was relatively smooth we uh, you know, we, the service team at the Canadian Digital Service, like we had the space and I think the air cover that we needed to to build the right thing for uh, for Canadians.
0: Emily, is this something that you were perhaps more actively involved in in those conversations?
1: So, kind of building on what Josh said, we were really given the air cover and the trust to do what we do best. Uh, so, the app product team really focused on on delivery. Uh, so, we weren't in many of those meetings either. But what we were given the space to do, you know, there weren't very many discussions on should this button be red or blue. It was more the design team has it. Um, and the design team and dev team and delivery team that worked on this were really trusted um, to do what they do best and be the experts that they are. So there were I, I assuming there were lots of conversations around the government of how this would work and how we would make this happen. But truly, the app team was left to their their expertise and just getting it done right.
2: And I do go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I do, I do have a little bit more there. I mean, I I do think that we probably sent a clear signal for what uh, like the interface should be, what the North Star should be, and ultimately that's uptake, right? And, uh, and at least from my perspective, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't like there wasn't a lot of uh, of pushback on that. I think people largely across the government of Canada understood that and gave us the the space that we needed to to pursue that and get it done right.
0: Did you actually, did you guys actually bring in people from Google or Apple or Shopify to, um, I'm not going to say handhold you a little bit, but act as like, this is how our code works. This is how the the backend is. This is how we envision the tools or the the framework to be used.
1: Yeah. So I can probably take that one. So um, this is like a complicated system and new technology. So we definitely took whatever kind of advice and support that we could get. Um, but we really had a working team at both Apple and Google that helped us out in understanding, you know, how do we implement into the framework properly? How do we do this in the best way? And, and kind of understanding from that side. From Shopify's side, we had some great members join our team in helping us understand uh, how we integrate into their code and how we work with them to kind of solve some of these issues. So there's like our app. COVID shield, and then the framework. So there's lots of different layers that we kind of had to build upon. So it took a lot of teamwork across the, the teams to um, make that all happen.
0: What about from the perspective of, obviously Google and Apple created this framework, but they're not a government agency and they're not based in Canada either. Were there any uh, inconsistencies perhaps between what they had created and the needs that say Canadian laws Present to you guys like this does not jive with, say, Pippida or some of the other, you know, privacy laws that exist in Canada.
2: No, I mean, I a, a big thing for us, right, is is the privacy. Uh, it, one, just because it's the right thing to do, uh, but two, people need to trust the application, right, in order in order to actually install it and turn it on. So, I think the biggest framework that we were con- like that we were concerned about uh, on the policy side would would uh, make sure that we had, uh, you know, OPCs uh, if not blessing, but, uh, yeah, that's the, the, uh, the
0: the office of the privacy commissioner, right? That's right. Yeah. Thanks
2: for, thanks for calling me out on that. Um, yeah, the office of the three letter acronyms, public (laughs) servants
0: and their three letter acronyms has been uh, on my side for the last
2: decade. Oh God. Yeah. especially when you like the intersection of that and technology, it's, it's too much. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, um, uh, so the office of the privacy commissioner, right? Like it, it was important, uh, uh, right, for us to get their blessing. One, because of trust, but two, uh, because they're doing good work over there. And and here's what's so great about this, right? The the reason why we were excited about uh, the Apple and Google framework uh, is that it did a few things, right? It, I mean, one, it it gave it it gave access to that underlying Bluetooth uh, to make this possible. Uh, but two, it did it in a private way. Like it was just a very thoughtful approach to like how do you preserve privacy while 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 doing something like this. So uh, because of that, right? Because because we decided to to go with Apple and Google, uh, because we knew uh, that the importance of the you know the privacy was was our north star, uh, we didn't run into many hurdles there. Like it was it was very compatible with uh, uh, the privacy expectations of of the uh,
0: government of Canada. I'm going to do my best now to switch the conversation more towards the, the, the product side and go to Emily here because now you officially have the green light. You've got the, the, a strong foundation from technology leaders. You have to create the product. Were there any obstacles along the way that you didn't foresee would be happening?
1: So I think uh, one of them we already touched on a little bit, but maybe not an obstacle, but definitely making it complicated is building on those three systems. So like the Apple and Google framework is one thing, and then the Shopify volunteers code for COVID Shield was another piece that we needed to navigate, and then ours on top of that. So those complex layers of how those layers talk to each other and how they work together was definitely one of the things that took us a while to to figure out and really get a good handle on how we were going to tackle that. The other piece was around so. So the, the end-to-end testing was something that we really needed to get down, um, and, and when we first started this, there wasn't really an expedited way to test it, so it was like we would contact two phones together, one that was positive, one that wasn't, and then we would wait, and you'd wait like 24 to 48 hours to see if a notification happened, and, and that wasn't good enough, so we had to figure out a way that we could kind of work with Apple and Google to set up a more expedited testing framework so that we could test faster, so that we could actually get this out faster. Um, So those were kind of the two main kind of tech hurdles that we had to overcome. Other than that, you know, there wasn't really anything like we, so we hit the ground running on June 15th. We had the like team onboarding kickoff meeting and it was a truly multidisciplinary team that was brought in to help of, you know, service designer, content designer, inclusive designers, front end, back end, iOS, Android devs, uh, policy folks. Pretty much everybody was all on board in that kickoff meeting, Um, and from there we all went into our different disciplines and figured out what we needed to do to make this successful. So there wasn't too many other hurdles other than, yeah, a few just logistical. How do we actually test this, and how do we build this uh, in a way that integrates all three pieces?
0: And and I'd like for you to to expand on that a a little bit because it might be old hat for you, but for a lot of the people listening. I'm interested to know what some of the considerations that you had to make in those preliminary conversation with the multi partners that you had. So for example, you said the privacy was your North Star, but there must've been other considerations. And I'm gonna give you one real, a real simple one right now, which is the English and French. You also have to create a French version of this application. You have to create two versions of the application that says on Apple and Android. What were some of the other considerations that you had to, to make for this application to be created?
1: Yeah, so I mean, our three main concerns, our three North Stars were um, privacy, like you said, um, uptake and retention. So how do people, do people feel comfortable downloading it? And then how are they actually keeping it on their devices was the second kind of bucket that we looked at. And then the third piece was the public health impact. So making sure that we're delivering the right impact and the right guidance and, and really integrating with the public health system to be very thoughtful about the guidance and and uh, advice that we're giving people. So those are kind of the three big buckets. And in those, I mean, uptake and retention, I feel like a lot of the examples that you mentioned there kind of fit in that of of yeah, are can the both national languages are are they supported? Um, is it accessible? So we did a ton of accessibility testing and looking at talk back and voiceover, um, screen magnification, pretty much everything that we could possibly do. And and really what happened there with accessibility is that we were above and beyond what we were required to do and kind of setting North Star for what an accessible service could really look like in the government. I feel like there's like a thousand considerations that I could talk about. Um, yeah. I don't know which ones <laughs> you want me to focus on or what what more you want to dig into. Um,
0: but which ones in particular that you found that you was particularly personal for you uh, in terms of like, this is really important that we do this, for example.
1: Yeah. So I guess one of the most important ones for me was that like, this is a complicated service to explain and a complicated app to kind of like wrap your head around. And one of the main focuses that we had was how do we make this digestible and understandable to everybody in Canada and really focusing on uptake. So how do we make sure that people understand what they're, what they're downloading and how it's going to work? And then also focusing on like, what do people need to do if they need to do anything with the app and really making sure that that was clear. Um, So that was probably the one that that, like kind of hit home the most as a service designer as well, kind of figuring out how it fits within people's lives and how it fits within the grander context of healthcare. But there was a lot of thoughtful considerations put into both the content and the design of the app to make sure that people really understood what was happening and what they were downloading.
0: Was there... Anything? So you started working on this m- mid-June-ish. Did, was there anything unexpected that came along the way that you, you could not have planned for that either accelerated the process or decelerated the process of creating the application? It, it was rosy. It was a perfect plan, and that's, that's what happens. When you have a perfect plan, everything goes according to plan. But I do know there is one thing that that was delayed, I'm not, and maybe you can talk to it a little bit. From my understanding, you only had one week of beta testing, which I'm not a developer. It seems kind of short for beta testing, but maybe you can sort of set me straight on that. But if I recall correctly, the beta testing was supposed to be a lot, well, not a lot longer, but at least another couple of weeks longer. But it wasn't.
2: Can can you speak as to what happened there?
0: Yeah, I guess I. Yeah, I'm
2: not. Uh, I'm not familiar uh, with the requirement that beta testing was supposed to be longer. Than <laughs> um, I, I do think that uh, I. I don't know where that came from. I. I, I did notice uh, that sometimes, like that, like how things were kind communicated, uh, folks would get uh, attached. Like folks, you know, around the government of Canada and in, in the media, even you know, would talk about piloting and and, and beta. Uh, we, we just stay focused on iterating and, and testing as we needed So I was perfectly happy with that, that one week beta period, right? We, we had a smaller, we had a, what we call the small beta, right? Where roughly a hundred folks, um, we sent out some, um, uh, some specific uh, uh, test scenarios for them. But the biggest question we had right prior to launch was like, okay, now we've done this for dozens or roughly a hundred uh, people. Are we ready to go, uh, you know, from a hundred to a million? And, and and the answer was we think we are, but let's make sure this is a this is an important application with uh, with health imp- implications. So, uh, so we wanted to get out to, to thousands of people. Uh, mainly, at least for me, uh, was that at least on the Android side, right? There's 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 so many devices out there, and so many different types of devices, uh, and we didn't have I think a wide we didn't cast a wide enough net or have a, a wide enough pool. Uh, to confidently know, right, that there wasn't going to be like an entire class of Android devices that might crash. We, we had good reports from, from Google Play console, like everything looked good, but we wanted to be just a little bit more certain on that. And I think, and Emily can speak more to this too, I think from a, a, a research perspective, uh, you know, that's gold if you have thousands of people filling out a survey who have just used your apps. We wanted to do that first, but we needed a week. We only needed a week. And uh, um, yeah, I was I was personally happy with that. Emily?
1: Yeah, so I think um, it's also not the end of beta testing, right? So we did a week um, to make sure that, you know, we felt super confident about what we were releasing, but that doesn't also mean that that week is just one and done and we'll never do testing again. Um, So we're we're already starting to do some usability testing again this week and then setting up a plan to get sort of a bigger beta running so that we can continually test and iterate as we move forward. Um, So I... I don't know. I would agree with Josh that like we needed to make sure that we felt confident and that was the best way that we could do it. And yeah, we learned a ton from that beta. Having thousands of people fill out surveys and and submit bug reports. Shout out to the people that noticed that there was like two spaces in between a word instead of one. I think I got like 30 reports for that. So we had people focusing on like design. We had bugs. We had feature requests. So we had a ton of stuff coming in through that beta that kind of sat at all different levels and helped us fine tune it just that that little bit more
0: how many do you know how many people downloaded the application as part of the beta testing
1: about 6000 people um oh, wow. yeah so there's a lot of people and like every single survey that someone filled out was read by a team member here and every piece of feedback was taken in and triaged so it was a lot of people and a, a lot of great feedback too
0: the you, you mentioned earlier like <laughs> Everyone seemed to have noticed that extra space in some of the and in, in a section at some point on the app. Uh, but what was some of the other feedback that you guys received to either make it more user friendly, bug reports? Uh, I'm assuming you also did sort of just basic app measurements like the battery usage and, and you know how long the screen is up and and that kind of stuff. Can you go into some of those details?
1: Yeah, so I can start with kind of bugs. So some of the bugs that we saw on beta were things with the, the menu not scrolling properly for every device, um, some font sizes not showing up properly, scrolling on phones that shouldn't. So little bugs like that. Um, we didn't really get any like major showstoppers that were like, this doesn't work at all on my device or anything like that. Um, We saw a few crash reports in uh, the Play Console that we fixed that had to do with, it was like background refresh. I'm not going to go into the details, but anyways, crash reports seem to be fixed. So that was kind of on the bug side. From the design side, um, we had lots of content suggestions. One of the bigger changes that we made was adding a screen uh, into the onboarding flow around this being one part of a greater system. The app is part of a healthcare system and a healthcare commitment that we all need to take part in of wearing masks and washing our hands and things like that. So it's one piece of a small puzzle or a large larger puzzle. So that was kind of the design side. And then feature requests, we had people uh, and we still have lots of feature requests coming in that we are triaging and figuring out how they fit into the story, but things around how does this work for healthcare workers um, or people who are are in higher risk environments. Um, and how does this work, you know, on different types of notifications and things like that. So lots of questions around, like, how might this work for my specific use case uh, that we're starting to take in and understand what we do with.
0: One of the I read the blog post that you guys wrote uh, about the app. And one of the things that caught me, um, i not necessarily off guard, but I'm wondering if this is just standard practice for developers that actually, you know what, let me ask a question differently the code that was developed with the healthcare agencies, was that something that we're already doing that you just brought on board and implemented into the application? Or is it something that you you guys had to create alongside these health agencies?
2: Yeah, so the the code itself, uh, do you mean like to dial in like say the exposure settings or like how do we we tweak once we've worked with the, uh, uh, once we've worked with the healthcare, uh, like public health, in the provinces and territories are federal, or are we speaking more about like the code that came from uh, uh, from the Shopify volunteers in Ontario?
0: I, um, I'm talking about the code that someone who's been diagnosed with COVID puts into the application. That very, I think it's like eight digits or something like that. I'm not sure now. I'm talking about that. Was that something that already existed that the health agencies were doing? That you just this is a great sort of identifier. Or did you have to come up with it and then essentially convince health agencies to start doing that when when they diagnose someone with the coronavirus
2: so that request so that was actually a design uh uh that the, the the team of volunteers from shopify came up with and we thought that that was we thought that that was a, a, a nice touch right because the one thing we know is that if if, if anybody can say that they've been diagnosed Right, so you could flood the system with false diagnosis. And the trust in that would go down, thus uptake would go down. So, so that had to be there. So we, we were in art, right in, in a position where we need to uh, to demonstrate the value of that to the uh, to the public health. Um, and we, that we've not run into any issues with that. Everybody I think sees and appreciates the value there. Emily, do you have more to add there?
1: Um, yeah. So, so I feel like we are caught in this code. Definition <laughs> I feel like it, this is like one of the most confusing parts of explaining this to app to people because there's like 12 different variations of code. So these one time keys, um, so if one-time you have yes, one time okay. keys, we'll call them that. So the one time keys the,
0: is that the official nomenclature you guys yes. use internally? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. good. We have like one-time.
1: a, yeah, there's a nomenclature document that outlines all these things because it's very, there's a lot of terms that are very close together. Um, so the one time keys are you receive it when you're positively diagnosed and. And we're working with each province and territory to figure out how we integrate that into their healthcare system. So it is something that we are doing with each province and territory and each health system to, to understand how we actually integrate those into the, the service.
0: So it's something that you guys suggested health agencies do.
2: Yeah. I wouldn't even say it's more of a suggestion, right? Like it, it, you, you can't, I mean, it's, it, it's not a rule, but it's just, it's just sort of a fact that you, you can't really participate if there's not a way that we can get these one-time keys right in the hands of people who have been diagnosed. So that is, that is like kind of a baseline understanding as we talk to the provinces and territories. Yeah.
0: And just, and this is morbid curiosity on my part. How are those generated across Canada? Is this, something that is part of your servers internally that essentially you give to sort of the front line. I, I guess I'm wondering, how does it go from not being a code to that nurse or the doctor or whatever, have it in their hands and giving it to Jim Bob, saying, Jim Bob, this is your coronavirus number, your unique key, oh, one-time One key. One-time, there
1: you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, how tell, tell us that journey a little bit.
2: Sure. Yeah. So there's a couple different ways that, uh, uh, that, that you can go. Right. So there's uh, uh, for provinces and territories who have, I, I would say, like more robust, uh, you know, testing systems and, and um, like Ontario, for example, uh, they have a portal where, where folks can log in to get their test results. Right. And, and the best way we think to, to get those one time keys in the hands of people uh, is to have it associated with the test results and visible in the actual healthcare portal there. So Ontario, uh, for the most part, is is hitting an API, right? So they have a token, um, they have a unique token, there, they're just an API token. Um, they're hitting the server, and we on in the centralized uh, in the national server are generating those uh, those tokens, uh, and then they present them to, uh, to to folks who receive their test results through that portal. Um, and then the other way uh, is that for uh, provinces and territories, or even let's say parts of provinces and territories, that uh, aren't integrated into that that larger uh, health system. Um, we have created a, a, a national healthcare portal, right? And it, it's a very simple idea. It's just that someone can log in, a health professional can log in, sign in, uh, and generate uh, one-time codes to give uh, to people. Depending on right, like you asked, kind of what the, the, the user flow is. It, it really depends. Uh, sometimes people, you know, people are notified over the phone. Sometimes uh, sometimes they log into a portal. Sometimes they're notified in person. But the idea is just to make these codes, excuse me, these, these keys available to folks, uh, to healthcare providers, to, to present uh, to the people who need them, to meet them where they're at and give it to them any way that they need it. So it, either through API or through a, a portal where folks can sign into. You,
0: you said a magic word a moment ago, and by magic, I mean dangerous. You said, <laughs> you said token, which leads me to ask you this question. Sure. Is this something that could potentially reside within like a cryptocurrency blockchain type of ecosystem for even greater privacy in terms of issuing tokens instead of um I'm not I'm just gonna end the question (laughs) there.
2: I I do not know. I have not uh, we have not considered it. Okay. Um and I'll leave it at that. (laughs)
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um so when I read the blog post that the CDS issued, which I believe you guys were on it as well as a Canadian hero in the community of Sean Boots, uh, (laughs) (laughs) the the, the man from uh, Moose Jaw, I believe, you wrote this blog post and there's a lot of interesting things in it. Two of them that really caught my attention is this one-time key. You guys actively took out certain numbers and certain letters to avoid potential confusions. One of them is sort of like the letter O and the number zero. Is this sort of a genius brainchild that came out of the product team? Or is this a standard practice in in the developer community?
1: So it's a little bit of both. I mean, this is definitely something that we've seen other countries and other um, people who are issuing one-time keys or codes kind of use. And so we did the so one side of it is doing the, the letters that look the same. We also did letters that sounded the same. So oh. E and B.
0: Can you give me a second? Sorry, B.
1: Yeah, or, or things like that. So we actually wanted to build this so that people could read the code over the phone and still be able to understand exactly what the code is and write it down properly. One of the other pieces uh, that the healthcare team did, and Josh can probably speak a little bit more to this, but they actually redid the phonetic alphabet uh, to be more contextual in this day and age. So our content design team looked at uh, what the phonetic alphabet was and how we're presenting those codes to healthcare professionals to read over the phone and giving them suggestions that are more contextually sound um, for today. So if you look at the like, uh, I can't remember what it's called, it's like the NATO version of the, the yeah. phonetic alphabet, it references E4 a lot of, like- yes, yeah, it references a lot of words that are outdated, like foxtrot, you're like, I <laughs> don't know what that is, <laughs> or or names that are very culturally specific, like Charlie or, or things like that. So so taking that and re-looking at how we can create a better phonetic alphabet was kind of like a cool byproduct of this. Um, So what the the healthcare portal, when people log in or when healthcare professionals log into that and they generate a one-time code, they see the code and then there's also coaching on how to phonetically say that over the phone uh, in a way that's understandable across cultures, across languages, uh, in both national languages. We picked words that worked in both French and English. So I, internet, um, and things like that to make it very clear in how you deliver these codes over the phone.
0: As part of the elimination of letters that look and potentially sound the same, was there, for example, instances where there's a letter in English that you have to take out, but not necessarily have to take out in French? Like, Or, or did you, if it doesn't work in one language, you got to take them out in both?
1: Correct, yeah. So we did it for both. Uh, and one of the ones that we struggled with, so H, H isn't actually really a sound in French, um, so figuring out how we kind of navigate that and what that means. So it was definitely a consideration of both, and our content design team um, worked in both French and English at the same time for this, so that it wasn't that we translated it from one to the other. It was truly working tandemly to solve it together.
0: And the other element that I found interesting is there was an element about the the exposure notification was too fast. or it was 15 minutes to, to, you moved something from 15 minutes to 24 hours. I think it was the time to, that you actually had to input the one-time key because you wanted to give people an opportunity to digest the diagnosis first and really consider whether or not they wanna take part in this. Can you talk to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so we, when we inherited the code, the suggestion was that, that the code, those one-time keys would expire after 15 minutes and that was for security reasons. Um, And and we looked at that to figure out. So we worked with our content design team, our design team, our dev team and our security and policy teams, all the teams to try to figure out how um, we can improve that and keep security and privacy. And um, we landed on 24 hours. um, And this was really led by the user need that, like, when you get a positive diagnosis, you're probably not in a mental state to then all of a sudden be like, I've got to enter this code in 15 minutes. Like that's not, that's not the user experience that we want to create. Um, and it's also not one that's sustainable. If you're actually not feeling well, you've got a lot of things to consider of whether you're using this app, how you're going to enter in that code, how you get that code, all these things that, that we really didn't want to compound on top of already getting a positive diagnosis, which is emotionally tolling enough. Um, so we worked with our team, everybody on the team to figure out, you know, how can we bake that window a little bit wider so people really have the time and the space that they need to use this, this service properly?
0: When I published that, I was doing this interview with a CDS team. Uh, Mike Gifford, who is an avid sort of open government, open data accessibility designer in Canada, he wanted to ask this question. And, and I think uh, it's very relevant going forward because, uh, and I'm just going to read, read out his question as he wrote it. If we weren't in a pandemic, how should the rollout of similar technology be implemented? How should gov be implemented in terms of policy transparency and evidence-based decision making? How do we see that investment in IT like this is getting the results that we're all expecting?
2: If we are not in a pandemic, I, I mean, I would do it. Uh, I, I would do it the same. The only thing I would change uh, between like pandemic life and non pandemic life is like we need to make this a little bit more sustainable, uh, like right, the cost to the team. Everybody, everybody was burning midnight oil for, yeah. for several months there. And that's that's not very sustainable. But um, but look, I mean, I, I'm 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 proud of how we approach this. We we did make it evidence based. We had, I think, we had clear outcomes. We had we had clear north stars. We did the research to get the evidence that we needed to do it. We uh, we learned. We iterated. We we didn't promise specific release dates. Right? It was ready when it was ready, and that's very hard to do. And I do think that uh, we probably had that. You know, it's a terrible word to use uh, in in COVID times. I think we did have the benefit of this being. Uh, I think such a a public health need, right? That getting it wrong was just not an option. Forcing it out the door uh, was was just not an option. But um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change much other than say the the urgency and the uh, the timeline. I think we do need to do it in a little bit more of a sustainable way. Now, what I am I don't, there's so many things I'm proud of, but like relevant to this question, a thing that stands out is that. Uh, like we were transparent from the beginning. And what I loved about that is that it wasn't just because it's the right thing to do, right? There's a lot of reasons to be transparent. There's a lot of reasons to, 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 to work in the open when when you're a public servant, but th- this actually helped with trust, right? Like there's a lot of confusion uh, about what it was that we're uh, uh, building. As Emily like said earlier, it's, it's a complicated application. And we wanted people to see like with us from the get go uh, what it is that we were doing. So I I love that. I think, you know, in post pandemic life, we, we should, we should do that too. From, a we, from a comms and outreach perspective too, right? We didn't have, we didn't, we told the stories and I think, I think that we did a great job of telling the story and making it uh, accessible. Uh, but often we could just point, we could point to the repo. We could point to the code uh, and say, see for yourself. And I think that was huge. There's so many like other, like there's specific things that we could talk about in this, but I wouldn't I don't know. I think I think the lessons are just, uh, you know, be evidence driven, stay focused on the user, stay focused on those outcomes. Don't be afraid to adapt. Uh, Don't deliver just to deliver, deliver when you have the outcome that's ready. And of course, like like work in the open and let everybody in. your products going to be better for it. Like, as I said, this is a this is an open source product, right? Like we didn't start this. Like it was a group of volunteers from Shopify that, that did this. It was the, the Ontario Digital Service that did that next round. We all worked together, and it's because we, we worked in the open. It's what made it possible.
0: Well, you, you, guys have, you guys have done some amazing work when it comes to it. And actually, once again, in preparation for the interview, you know, I, I checked back on, on the Google Play Store and the Apple Store to see how the application was rated. So I'm assuming you've been very pleased about the response and the great reviews you've been getting. But I will say this, because we all know that you can't necessarily trust reviews and ratings on those stores because you can buy those, right? There are those shops that, that allow for some inflation of ratings. So I did some digging and actually went on, on the Reddit, on the Canada subreddit and the Canadian politics subreddit to see how the response was for the COVID alert. And I was actually overwhelmed by how many people liked it. There was no, like usually those, you have those like really voted down comments that are sort of hidden. There was really none of that. So I'm assuming unless, like, I'm assuming this is something you guys paid attention to as just personal achievements for yourselves.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want validation, right? (laughs) So absolutely. But also it was, it was, it wasn't just that it's uptake is everything, right? This, this service uh, is more useful the more people that use it. So so we're, we were very sensitive to, to how folks were thinking about it, even on the edge cases, we wanted to know. Are you able to tell us and share with us how many
0: downloads from Google Play and Apple Store have taken place for the app? Are you able to share that with us?
2: Yeah, and just this weekend, we uh, we tweeted, right? We just hit 2 million. 2 million. Um, and, and, yeah, and wow. what we're doing there is that uh, Apple has like app units uh, and Google has new users, so so it's our best estimate of how many people um, have have downloaded and installed the app.
0: Are you able to generate generic dashboard measurements? I don't and I don't know if you can even publish them to the public. But how many entries have been put into the app? Like how many uni, uh, one-time one-time keys have been input into the system? Are you able to even generate some of those basic numbers?
2: yeah we do we don't have a lot right because it's so private, um, but we uh, understanding the number of people who have entered the one-time keys uh, that is possible, and we, we do know that number. We haven't published it yet. That's going to be Health Canada uh, that chooses to do that, um, but technically, uh, the, knowing the number of folks who have entered those one-time keys is possible, yeah.
0: Well, we have to start wrapping up the episode. We only have a handful of minutes here. Um, and I want to ask you both, both you and Emily, what? would you have done perhaps differently in creating COVID alert? Differently.
2: I, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who, uh, right. An experience is an experience and it comes with good and bad. And, uh, I I wouldn't trade it. Like I, I, if I had to do something differently, I I don't know I I can't change the amount of time in the day. It was an urgent thing that we needed to do. Right. And I, I just can't, I can't, like thank the team enough like, like how much uh they stepped up how much work that the team did over those last couple of months if i could change it i, I would have made that a little bit more sustainable right i would have, i would have given the team a little bit more time i think we'd all be healthier for it but i for me personally i, I wouldn't trade it again i'm, I'm going to remember this the, the rest of my life like we all uh, as public servants right like we, we want to do this to help um, It's it's not great. Uh, that we're in the situation that we're in, but to be able to, to have an opportunity uh, to step up and, and try to do something about it, it's uh, it's meaningful and it's worth it. Emily?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I would do anything differently. I think that like kind of like what Josh said, I think we're very similar personality in that uh, everything is a learning moment and everything requires iteration. Um, so anything that did need changing, we just changed it as we went. Um, so there isn't really anything that, yeah, again, I would have loved more sleep, um, would have loved <laughs> to, like, give the team a little bit more breathing room. But, like, the, the circumstances that we were in and, and the amount of great work that came out of that is pretty spectacular. Like, I came to the government to do great work and use my brain for good. Uh, and this is, like, the best opportunity to do that. So I don't think I really would have changed anything. I, th- I think anything that did need changing, we changed on the fly as we went and, and iterated and improved.
0: Well, this has definitely been a reoccurring theme, theme for me as I'm doing these podcasts. About a month ago, six weeks ago, I did an episode with Jacques Mayu, who is the Director General at the ESDC for Internal Security Infrastructure. I forget what his official title is. And in terms of adapt- and getting ready for CERB, right, and, and launching CERB and, and making those changes internally to make sure that all of a sudden you have 30,000 people that have to work from home. And uh, he was telling us the exact same thing of the work that took place behind the scenes, the countless hours, you know, people just putting the, and that's the thing I think that's unfortunate with a lot of Canadians is they don't see all the work that's required that the public service is doing. The public service often get, oftentimes gets a bad rap and sometimes rightly so, but they should also at times be given the accolades that they deserve. And I think during the pandemic, many public servants and agencies have not been receiving those accolades. So I want to thank you both for sharing that story with us. And I hope at least a few Canadians will hear the hard work that you guys have been doing. And we thank you for that.
1: Richard, thank you so much.
0: You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And uh, um, thanks for taking part in this episode. And as usual, um, those who are listening, please leave us a rating or a comment on how we can make the podcast better, or if there's any guests or any stories that you'd like to hear. So until next time, let's make it open.